Hey, run into the other room and grab a Bible if you don't have one in front of you. Grab a pencil or a pen as well so that you can take some notes. If you need a Bible, you can download the Bible app and join me in Luke chapter 19. So I keep hearing that this is like the new normal, quarantine and social distance and, and stay at home, that this is the new normal. And I can't help but think, no, this is not normal. There's, there's nothing normal about this. I refuse to believe that this is normal. And so church, we're doing the best that we can. But Lord willing, there's going to be a time when we're back together. And I, I can't wait for that day. It is going to be a big old Jesus party. And we're super excited about that day and looking forward to that day with you. So we're going to try and get back to some level of normalcy today. We're going to jump into a new sermon series called Sacred Days, and we're going to look at the events that lead up to and, and go beyond Easter Sunday. And we called it Sacred Days because there's something special about these days and these events. The word sacred just means connected to God. There's something special, something supernatural about these days, days like Palm Sunday, and Easter, and Christ's Ascension, and Pentecost. They're probably stories that you've heard before, but sometimes we need to slow down and actually look at these events. You know, we make radical claims in Christianity that this guy dies, but he, he comes back to life, and he just starts showing up, and people see him, and it's not one or two, it's hundreds of people. And then he rides the clouds up into the sky and he takes his throne and it starts this movement that's been going on for thousands of years and it's going to continue into eternity. Those are radical claims. And so there's something about slowing down and just looking at these historical, these sacred days. And so today, as we jump in, we're going to start with Palm Sunday. So let me tell you what's going on in the world at the time. There's this massive world empire. It's called the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire starts all the way over like in Spain. And it kind of goes up into what's northern Europe. And it goes down into Italy. And then it kind of goes over into the Middle East and the Arabian Peninsula. It actually wraps around the Mediterranean into parts of northern Africa. These, these guys are everywhere. This empire is everywhere. And their army is just insane. And what would happen is they would go into these countries and they would go, okay, we're, we're not going to kill you, but you're going to behave and you're going to pay these radically high, ridiculous taxes. And if you don't, and if you get out of line, well, then we're going to wipe you off the map. And so their empire would just keep getting bigger and bigger and they would add land and they would add people and money. And one of the countries they had done this with that they had taken over was this little country called Israel. It's God's people, the Jews. And so they're living under Roman authority, under Roman oppression. And they're waiting for the day when someone will come and save them. Someone will come and rise up in the nation of Israel, will take on Rome and, and kick Rome out and restore God's people. And they believe this is going to happen. And the reason that they believe that this is going to happen is because in the Old Testament of the Bible, in their ancient history books, there is prophecy. In fact, there's a lot of prophecy 
that God is going to send a Savior. He's going to send a Messiah, someone to come and take the reins of the nation of Israel who will establish a kingdom, and that kingdom will last forever, and Israel will prosper, and God's people will have freedom and goodness. And so they're waiting for that day. They're waiting for that moment. Of course, everyone has an idea about what this person is going to look like. He's going to be tall, and he's going to be handsome, and he's going to have studied at Harvard, and he's going to be wealthy. And so when this guy named Jesus is born, and people start to hear about him, and they start to hear about the things that he's doing, there are some who are like, this this could be the guy. This could be the guy that God is sending that the Old Testament talked about who's going to come and save us. But there are other people who are like, no, 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 no. This, this can't be him. This guy's a fraud. He doesn't look like what we think he should look like. He's not charming and handsome and, and, and educated. And so what happens is you reach sort of this boiling point. There are these two opinions. There is one group of people who says, no, I, I think this could be the guy that we've been waiting for. I think this could be the guy who's going to put Israel back on the map. And then you have this other group of people who are like, no, and they're just mad about it. They're like, this cannot be him. And so you have these two opinions in conflict. And so today on on Palm Sunday, we're going to sort of explore this question of who is Jesus? Could he be the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about? Because how you answer that question in just a few days from now is going to divide the entire world. So here's the story, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. Here's what it says. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples are on their way. They're going to Jerusalem. But so is every able-bodied Israelite traveling to Jerusalem. See, there's this special holiday. It's their most important holiday. It's called Passover. And every year, the Jews would travel to Jerusalem to worship and celebrate. And Jerusalem would swell from like a couple hundred thousand people to to over two million people. And Passover is sort of, it's sort of like their July 4th. It's their Independence Day, but a lot bigger. See, for centuries, the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. And to get them, to rescue them out of slavery, God sent a bunch of plagues on the nation of Egypt. And one of those plagues was that every firstborn son would die in every household. But God warned the Israelites that this was going to happen. And he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice a lamb, your best lamb. I want you to sacrifice it. And I want you to paint that lamb's blood over the the front door and around the door frame of your house. And so when they did that, then death literally passed over their homes. God spared them, and then God rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he established the nation of Israel. And so every year, people would come to worship, and they would come to celebrate on Passover, to worship this God who literally passed over their ancestors and gave them life. And so Jesus, along with every other Israelite, is heading to Jerusalem. Now here's what happens, verse 29. It says, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, 
he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden this colt. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went, and they found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying our colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So he's going to Jerusalem, and he tells his disciples, go and, go and get this, this colt. And so they bring the donkey to him, and they get him on this donkey, and he's, he's riding into town, and people are throwing their cloaks on the road in front of him. What, what, what's going on here? Actually, there's quite a lot happening. If you look at some of the details, there is a lot of information for us here about who this guy Jesus might really be. I mean, take this whole scene with the donkey, for example. So first of all, Jesus sends his friends into this next little town. He says, go and, and get this donkey and untie it, and someone's going to ask you why you're untying it, and here's the answer you give them. And it goes exactly how Jesus said it would go. He literally laid out for them exactly what would happen. It was like he knew the future and what would happen. Okay, I get it, though. You go, well, maybe, maybe the skeptic says, well, this was prearranged. Okay, all right, that's fine. But it's, like, it's worth noting. Take the, this donkey itself, though. It says that the donkey has never been ridden. Now, you could skip right over that detail, but this is actually important because you can't just have an animal that's never been ridden and just go get on top of it and ride it. An animal has to be trained to carry a rider. So I've never, I've never ridden a donkey, okay, but I've ridden a horse. I've ridden a horse one time in my life. My wife, Nicole, thought it would be a great idea that it would be fun and it would be romantic if we rode horses on the beach while we were on vacation. Listen, it was neither fun nor romantic, okay, but I went along with it. All right, I'll do it. And so we go to this place, and they bring out this humble steed, and he's like 85 years old, and they're like, that one's yours, and I think like his back sagged so bad, I think when I got on him, my feet actually touched the ground on both sides. It was awful, and we rode around on the beach for like an hour, and I couldn't sit down for like a week. These people that ride horses, they make it look way easier than it actually is, but you can't just ride an animal that's never been ridden before. It, it doesn't happen. And yet Jesus goes and he just hops on this donkey. And the donkey doesn't try and throw him off. The donkey doesn't object. It's almost like Jesus has authority over this donkey. But okay, not convinced. I get it. Lots of people ride donkeys. Okay. But again, it's another piece of information. But look at this. Remember that they are trying to figure out if he is the Messiah from the Old Testament. So listen to this. 500 years earlier, Zechariah 9.9 says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, and shout, Jerusalem, 
See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Oh, that's interesting. And it goes on and he says, not just a donkey, he says on a colt, the foal of a donkey. All right, cool. So 500 years earlier, this prophet named Zechariah had written that this very thing is going to happen, that this Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem. Someday this is going to happen. He's going to ride into Jerusalem. He's going to be riding on a donkey, but not just any donkey. It's going to be a colt, a, a, a young donkey. Okay, well, maybe you're still not convinced. I don't know if this is the guy that the Old Testament talks about. Okay, that's fine, but it's at least starting to make you think. Like, the details are kind of coming together, and it starts to make you think, like, maybe this, maybe this has to be the guy. So then you have this scene with, with the cloaks. People are just taking off their jackets, and they're throwing them on the road in front of them. What, what are they doing? Why would they be doing this? Well, it's really... In modern day, we might say, like, you're rolling out the red carpet for somebody. In Jewish tradition, this is something that you only do for royalty. So there's something about people recognizing that this guy is unique. This guy is special. There's something going on with this guy. He might be the guy that we're waiting for who's going to come and make everything right. But don't make up your mind quite yet. I think it's fair to say that there are some pieces to the puzzle that you can start to put together and go, maybe this is the guy. This is the guy who's coming from God. Of course, as the pieces are coming together, the people that don't want Jesus to be that guy, they're just getting more ticked off. They're just getting more and more mad and defensive. But keep going in the story. Verse 37 says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, check this, I love in the Bible when there's specific details, when there's names and times and there's geography, because you can fact check that stuff. You can go, oh, this is an actual place, and this really historically happened. If you're just going to make up a story, you don't give those kinds of details. So I love when there are details in the Bible. He comes near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd now lining the street, four, five, six people deep, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Underline that, for all the miracles they had seen. They cheered, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, though, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So, question for you. You know they're waiting for a Messiah to save them. They're waiting for someone who's going to come and, and raise up Israel. Some of them think this is the guy. Others don't. It seems like a lot of them are cheering for him. They start cheering, thinking maybe he's the guy. So, so question, were people cheering for Jesus or for what they hoped that he would do for them? Were they cheering for Jesus just because he's Jesus or because of what they expected him to do? Here's what I mean. And I'm not even sure I know the answer to this question. Are they cheering for 
God because God is good and He's faithful and He's, he's trustworthy? Or are they cheering because, well, maybe now our suffering will end? Because Jesus is going to get rid of this Roman army. He's going to run them off and, and Israel will rise again. I, I'm not sure that I know the answer to this question. It's probably both. Probably some of them were genuinely cheering. Hey, the Messiah has come. God has made good on his word. But for others, I wonder if they were cheering because of what they thought Jesus was going to do for them. Finally, Rome will be out of here, lower taxes, safer neighborhoods, better school. Israel is on top again. I mean, it's probably both. But it's challenged me. It's challenged me to ask that question of myself. Do I worship Jesus because he's king or because he can make my life better? Because I feel like sometimes I really want to worship Jesus. Yes, he's king. I really want to worship him because he's king. But I sure bring my to-do list to him a lot. Jesus, here's some things. If you could just kind of take care of these. I have a checklist here. If you could just kind of take care of these. And, and of course, I'll, I'll follow you. But if you, could, if you could kind of take care of these things, that would be great. I mean, even the way that Luke writes this, he says that people praised God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Is that good or bad? Again, I don't know if I know that the I don't know if I know the right answer to that question. It's probably some of both. There were probably some people that are worshiping because they're genuinely in awe of this guy. I mean, this guy can heal people. This guy knows everything about me. Just with a word, this guy can calm a storm, the wind and the waves. And they're genuinely in awe. Probably, though, there are some people who are thinking, finally, someone who can solve my problems. And it might feel like semantics. It might feel like, well, they're worshiping. And it might feel like it doesn't really matter. But, I mean, if Jesus is really the Son of God, who he claims to be, if he's really the Messiah from the Old Testament that, that is promised, then he is due our worship no matter what. If he's just some guy that can draw a crowd because he can do magic tricks and dazzle them, then he's kind of a fraud, and he's going to die in a few days, and it's, it's not really going to matter. I mean, I've wrestled with this question, honestly, in real time, about whether I praise Jesus because of who he is or because of what I think that he can do. Like, okay, Brad, you're, you're, you're going crazy. you got cabin fever. You're stuck at home. You're driving your wife and your kids nuts, and you want out of the house. And I've been praying, honestly, I've been praying a lot that God would stop the coronavirus. And, and I want him to. I, I, I want him to heal people and stop the coronavirus. But I've sort of had to ask myself, okay, but would you rather God stop the coronavirus now so that you can get out? Or would you rather he use it to advance his kingdom, to make his name and his power known? Even if, Brad, even if it means that you're still stuck in your house for a while. I mean, that's, that's a real question. If our, if our praise for God is driven by an outcome, then often we're going to be disappointed. Because what happens when God doesn't deliver the outcome that we wanted? Do we stop praising him? Is, is my worship dependent on an outcome? 
And it's not to say we shouldn't bring him our requests. Of course we should. He's, he's dad. We're supposed to come to him and talk to him, and, and we can be honest. But if we only worship Jesus when we get the outcome that we want, if he's only worthy of our praise when he, when he delivers, then what about when he doesn't? Because if he's really the son of God that he claims to be, I want to worship him for who he is regardless of the outcome, regardless of the circumstances in my life. So that if God doesn't heal my child, that I still praise him. If Jesus doesn't wave his magic wand to to heal my marriage, that I still praise him. If he doesn't give me rent money so that I can pay my rent this month, I can still praise him. If Jesus is worthy of our worship because of an outcome, we're going to be disappointed. Maybe he's worthy of our, of our worship just because he's Jesus. Jump back into the text with me, though, because there are more clues here about, about who this guy is. And listen to what they're cheering. They cheer, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a throwback to the Old Testament. This is a blessing from Psalm 118 recorded in the Old Testament. Then they cheer this. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Just write in the margin of your Bible, Luke 2.14. You can go look it up later. You remember when Jesus is born, there's a bunch of shepherds out in a field and an angel appears to them. And the angel says to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Now Luke is recording peace in heaven. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to line up the life of Christ with this supernatural angelic event that happened at his birth. He's connecting his life back to that. So again, we're we're getting bits and pieces about who this guy Jesus might be. Maybe he is this this long-awaited Messiah. So finally he starts to speak up for himself. It's one of the only times in the Bible where Jesus speaks up for himself. Usually he just lets people insult him and he takes it, but here he speaks up for himself. The Pharisees tell Jesus to quiet his disciples. Listen to how he responds. Verse 40. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Again, he's referencing an Old Testament prophecy. Write down Habakkuk 2.11. Think though, think about the arrogance of what Jesus is saying. If he is not the son of God, think about the arrogance of what he's saying. Because he just says, if you won't worship me, it's okay. These, these things, these rocks that you see on the ground, these rocks will stand up and they will praise me. I mean, it's one thing to say, I don't know, I can train my dog to do what I want, to, to sit and to, to lie, lie down and roll over. It's something to say, I can demand that my employees obey me, that they run errands for me. It's one thing to say, like, I can train my kids and discipline them, that they, they have to be quiet. You can start a cult and, and get people to throw some coats on the road in front of you. But to say that, hey, these inanimate objects, these, these rocks, If you don't worship me, these rocks will come alive and they will sing my praises. Who is this guy? And that's sort of the question that's going to bring us 
Easter. Who is Jesus? See, he's just put himself on the same level as God. Because in the Old Testament, in Psalm 66, it says, all the earth bows down before you. He goes, that's me. I am the Lord of creation. The donkey lets me ride on him because I'm the Lord of creation. These people throw their jackets in front of me and worship me because I'm the Lord of creation. These rocks will stand up and praise me because I am the Lord of creation. You know, I can't help but to think like this, this Easter season, it's so different from other years. It's certainly not how I would have drawn it up. I would, I'd like to rewrite this script. I'm sure you would as well. It's, it's different. And as much as we sort of want to get on with regular life, there's, there's no way around it. Like life has changed for us. But I can't help but to think maybe God has created space and time for us. That we have time for some self-examination, for, for some reflection. Because maybe we've not really taken time to think about questions like this. Like, who is Jesus? Is he worth my praise when he doesn't do what I want him to do or what I ask him to do? Is he worth my praise if one of my children or, or my parents get the coronavirus? Is he still worth my praise if I'm stuck in my house for another three months going stir-crazy? I mean, I think what's so interesting is that we have this opportunity right now to slow down this Easter season. And it's not how we would have designed it. And, and certainly we want God to bring healing and we want him to just wipe this thing out right now. But we have so much space to ask questions and, and time to look at our life and, and ask things like, is God worth my praise no matter the outcome? Now here's the deal. Maybe you hear a question like that and you're like, honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't know this Jesus guy, so I don't know if he's worth my praise. I don't know if I should follow him. Okay, great. My hope for you is that you would hang out with us these next few weeks and that you would reach out to us and ask questions and go, I don't, I don't know this God. Tell me about this God, this Jesus guy. I want to know if he's worth following. I want to know if I should give him my life. But for others of us, maybe it's like, you know, honestly, I find myself going to Jesus, but it's because I want something. I'm always running to him because I, I want something. Oh, okay. So maybe this Easter is totally different, and we're entering Holy Week, and it's like the most bizarre time of some of our lives. But, but maybe, maybe these can be sacred days for you. Maybe these could be days where you reconnect with God in a way that, you know, if life was just going along normal, the way it has been, that you hadn't connected with God. Maybe supernatural ways that you can connect with God in this season. So here's my hope. My hope is that over the next couple of weeks, you'll hang out with us as we explore these sacred days. We're, we're just getting started. My hope and my prayer for you is that you would talk to God and that you would talk with your friends and your family and you would talk with your, your small group 
and you would ask questions and take time to look at your life and to look at your relationship with Jesus and say, is it based on what he delivers? Or is it possible that this Jesus is so good that he is such a great king that he is worthy of our praise all the time, no matter the outcome. You know, the worship team is going to lead us in one more song, and this song is called King of Kings. And maybe it's been a while since you've really asked that question, who, who is this Jesus? Is he worth my praise all the time, no matter what? Today, if, if you believe that, if you want to reconnect with God in that way, I would encourage you, sing this song to him. Jesus, you are the King of Kings. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we want to be like the people who cheer for you, who cheer your name, shout, blessed is this King who comes from the Lord. Peace and glory to God. God, we confess that sometimes we worship Jesus when life is good. We worship Jesus dependent on an outcome. We worship Jesus because of the things that he, he does for us, the ways that he repairs our life. And God, that is your blessing and that is your goodness poured out. But God, show us that Jesus is worth our praise all the time. Show us that you're a God who keeps his word, who keeps his promises, that for centuries you had promised to send someone who would, who would deliver freedom and deliver hope and, and deliver mercy, and you did. But it wasn't just for this life. It wasn't just to fix our, our, our problems and fix our life and circumstances now. It was to give us freedom from sin. It was to give us mercy and grace for all of eternity. Help us to see that, God, and in seeing that, to see that you are worth our praise all the time. God, there are people right now who are hearing my voice and, and you know what, they're, they're suffering, God. Real suffering in their life. They're anxious. They're begging you to, to fix things, to change things. God, would you show each of us that your grace sufficient for us now that every day you give us what we need grace and mercy and love God show us that you're a great king help us God to walk with you and to worship you every day no matter the outcome of our lives Thank you for your son, Jesus, who was and is that long-awaited Messiah who came to us, who we look forward to seeing face-to-face -face again someday. It's in his name, the resurrected name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.